Hello, I'm Jeff Lister, and welcome to Wait What? Comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. It's part one of episode 22, and Graham McMillan and I ring out the old year and ring in the new with notes about our holidays, and then after the 11 minute mark or so, upcoming comic book schedules for March, Marvel's Point One initiative and other publishing strategies, more updates about Spider Man Turn Off the Dark, Patton Oswalt's Wired article, and some musing about porn comics. Enjoy. Welcome to 2011, and thanks for listening. Jeff Lester, Brand... happy 2011. <laughs> happy New Year, Jeff, and Happy New Year, listeners. Even though for Jeff and I, it's not actually the New Year, but thanks to the magic of podcasting, it will be for you, listeners, by the time this gets heard. I love that that's still so delightful for you. It's like, we're recording it one time. They're airing it another time. It's, it's We're already in the future, even though we're not in the future, Jeff. <laughs> Do you not get it? It's magic. This is science. You're making science right now. I'll say we're making science. Oh, boy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, Happy New Year to you, sir. Uh, here is right on the sort of twilight cusp of 2010 yeah, we're, 2011. We're, we're really on, on the sort of like the shitty week between Christmas and New Year. <laughs> Do you know, was, is that just me? That like the week between Christmas and New Year, you're always kind of like, really? Does there have to be a week? Especially in America, where like everyone goes back to work. Yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, I mean, at least in Britain, you, like, you get Boxing Day and... So many people I know would just take that week off. Well, I think a lot you know of I mean? <laughs> people here can too, if if they can. It's just not really the year for it for a lot of people. So apparently, it's the year for being stranded in places. Thanks to travel, for a lot of people, judging by Twitter. I know, I know. It's really amazing how terrible that is. I, I'm sort of, I'm very glad we didn't go anywhere. Extravagant. <laughs> I know it's it's funny because you start. I, I, at least I start off with you know we're not going anywhere for Christmas. Uh, I feel kind of bad about that. And then pretty much as soon as everyone was like, at my third day in the airport, maybe I'll be able to fly out on Friday. I was like, oh, I'm so glad I'm home. <laughs> exactly. It's like ah, never has being semi agoraphobic paid off more than it has this week. How uh, the hell was your Christmas, sir? You know, my Christmas was uh, was absolutely lovely. We went to uh, Half Moon Bay, um, so we we got out of the house. We drove down to the bay and got checked into uh, a little hotel right off the beach uh, on Christmas Eve, and um, you know, basically ran around and ran some errands because we knew that although we were staying in this hotel for Christmas, they don't have a restaurant or room service or anything, and just about every place in Half Moon Bay was going to be closed. Like, so, you know, we actually went down to the docks and um, we got some fresh crab and we put it in the refrigerator. And then Saturday during Christmas, we basically opened presents and ran a fire in the fireplace and watched the storm hit the, uh, hit the beach. We went for a walk early in the morning and then uh, we ate like just amazingly fresh cooked crab um, and had it with toast. It was awesome. That that sounds very nice. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, I was very much, it was very, very much sort of a coastal Californian version of Christmas, I think, but mm. uh, 
it, it, it really was incredibly great just being able to sort of lounge about uh, and watch um, watch the storm kind of just pound away at the at the beach just these amazing waves and just incredible you know sweeping you know walls of rain and then the very next day it was completely sunny and we went for a walk and got to watch look at all the stuff that had been washed up not just up on the beach but in some cases like thrown up onto the 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 walkway near the road like was just covered in like fresh shell fragments and things you're, you're actually um remind me of the new years of my youth mm-hmm. uh, every new year when i was a kid we uh, my entire family would drive from greenock down to largs uh-huh. uh, which is the coastal drive and it's it's only like you know half an hour 45 minutes but I remember there was one year in particular, there was just an appallingly bad storm. And we're driving, and as we're driving, the road is right on the, the coast. Mm-hmm. The waves are coming up and just literally going entirely over the car. <laughs> and like hitting down on the other side. And I remember as a kid thinking, this is awesome. And my parents being kind of like, this is terrifying. And me just not understanding it. And I, there was a point years later where I was suddenly like oh I get why it was bad (laughs) (laughs) oh right isn't that the awesome thing about childhood you kind of do that thing you're just kind of like you know this looks amazing great I I obviously I'm invincible so I don't want to worry (laughs) why should I worry (laughs) exactly then years later you're like oh because we could have died Amazing! I can't believe that never sunk in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we we didn't quite put ourselves in anything like uh, that sort of situation, but we did. Uh, it, it, sounds, it sounds like weirdly peaceful and yet dramatic. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's actually a really uh, great way to to put it. We it was very calming. Very, but yeah, you looked out, you could just step out and, you know, there's a lot of things we don't have in our, our cold little apartment, you know, such as a, a fireplace, um, <laughs> or TV channels. So, you know, it's pretty easy to like, for us to get like, wow, this is crazily decadent, you know, heat and news you know, <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> exactly. We don't have to alternate like we had to back at home. Uh, how about yours? How about your holiday? We uh, had an amazingly low-key one, um, which we both completely loved. We we did nothing. We went nowhere. Um, we just, you know, we made a nice dinner for ourselves. Uh, we played Lego Harry Potter, which, like, one of maybe three video games that we own, and we play it, honestly, maybe once every six months. <laughs> uh, and it's not because we don't like it, because we always love it when we play it. We just, like, always kind of forget we have it. Right. Um, and the times where both of us are not working and of a mindset that we're not just exhausted are very <laughs> rare as well. Um, so it was just really nice. It was just, we just took it really easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you've you've heard me <clears throat> talk about the, the day job a little bit. So, and yeah, so it was did, just it was great. Have you been back to the day job since? Uh, yeah, I was back there yesterday and it was not terrible, thank goodness. So. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, exactly. That was a huge leg up, and I don't have to be back until Saturday. Uh, and we'll see. You're, you're working New Year's Day. Yes, yes, I am. 
Oh, yeah, that's I mean, not good. I know it's that. Well, it's that scheduling thing of like they have me scheduled for Christmas and they have me, you know. So naturally, you're working New Year's Day as well. Uh, it won't be so so bad. I mean, I think traditionally, you know, the I don't I don't go out and drink on New Year's Eve anyway. Like working in a bar in college pretty much wiped any desire to do that from from me. So. You know, my my New Year's Eves are pretty mellow anyway, so you go in and then half the time people don't really have much for you to do. So that could be a little different this year just because it's been such a crazily busy December, uh, but you know, we'll see. It, if it is, it is. The main, the nice thing is is that I've got a full three days off before I have to go back there and, yeah. and, and wrangle all that um but yes are you working over this the christmas taint um isn't that what uh, it should be called like it should be the christmas taint <laughs> well you know what i mean the holiday taint because it's it taint christmas and it taint new year's you know what i mean it's like that little it's like the you know it's like the holiday perineum or whatever it is <laughs> you know? oh my god i officially uh propose that we just change this to you coming up with new uses for words <laughs> That, that's true. The point of this podcast right now. I, I am working. Yeah, I, I, um, I theoretically was working Christmas Eve as well. It's just that I worked ahead so much that mm-hmm. my work on Christmas Eve pretty much consisted of like a couple of hours, and then I was done. Wow. Well, that's great. Um, and I'm not working ahead so much this week, uh, just because on one hand I don't really care about New Year, and I never have. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. um, like New Year is pretty much about New Year's Eve night, and I don't work nights anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, there's less for me to do this week. I'm not not doing the catalog because remember I did the, the email last week. Last week turned out to be a previous catalog week, yes. which was really exciting. I was so happy when I saw that email. Oh. Um, I actually got it done surprisingly quickly. Yeah. I think just because I had so much else to do, I didn't have time to feel sorry for himself. I was just like, okay, Marvel looks. Da, 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 da. The strange thing was for because um, it's for the March books, and I always think that March is when everything starts ramping back up. Mm-hmm. Really quiet month, especially oh, for DC. DC incredibly quiet month. Marvel, as always, just launched like everything. Right. Um, but DC are having a really quiet month, and so are all the other publishers that generally do big books, with the exception of Marvel. Huh. So it didn't take that long. Which is one of the things, like, good for me doing the, the um, onomatopoeia. Mm-hmm. Bad for the retailers in March. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's killing me, is is that, you know, is that Hibbs was like, well, I don't think we can have a quiet January and February, you guys. We're, we can't really afford it. And the idea that that would get extended over into March. I don't know, although, again, it's that weird concept of, um, you know, I, I, I of course, love Hibbs, uh, but I do get baffled sometimes when he alternates between talking about how, you know, event marketing is strip mining the marketplace, which I totally believe, and then turning around and telling, you know, Re, you know, telling people like, "Hey, come on, you guys! It's another quiet week. We're not shipping any product. You know, you guys gotta, gotta, you guys gotta bring something." And I'm kind of like, "Well, which is it? Which is it? Yeah." And I mean, I know what he means in a way, but his, uh, you know, part of the thing that's rough. I think part of the 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 thing that makes, um, you know, Hibbs's 
cry is so, you know, quixotic, I guess, is that because he's asking, you know, what he wants is reliably shipping um, high quality books without too much, you know, um, bilge product, I guess, you know, and those are, that's a, that's a pretty hard thing to like, just turn around and deliver on a dime. So he's always, you know, saying like, we've got to change this now before it's too late because it does, it takes a while for that stuff to ramp up. But, but here, for example, is what DC are putting out in terms of new launches. Mm-hmm. If you take away the DC Comics Presents 100 page specials, okay, mm-hmm. there are only five new launches in March. That's wow. miniseries and ongoing, and for mm-hmm. all the imprints. Jeez. Holy Which smoke. is really, really. And also, of those, um, one's an ongoing, one's a mini, and the others are one shots. Right. Well, and in theory, again, that's kind of like. Again, part of what Hibbs was saying is just like stop drowning the market in product. Like the the, the constant launchings of new number ones, um, it, you know, has had a really deleterious effect on uh, consumer confidence. I think when they when we go to the racks. So well, I, did you see um, Paul O'Brien's Marvel numbers for November on the beat yesterday? I just looked at them briefly. It. It looked pretty brutal oh, to me. Oh, God, it looks terrible. Yeah, I mean, that's I mean, he, like... He rightfully breaks them over the coals for the the nine Thor books that were yeah. out that month. Yeah. Nine! Yeah, I, I actually... four weeks in the month. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what you realize how insane it is. It's not uh-huh. even a Thor book a week. It's more than one... It's more than two Thor books a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, it's true. I, I, I love the fact that he actually shifted format and and looked at say the Wolverine family or looked at all the Thor titles in aggregate yep. there. I thought that was actually incredibly useful. I hope that's something that he breaks out. But no, I I, I found that painfully instructive. And it really looks to me like yeah, like maybe the maybe the roosters are what the roosters are coming home to roost why must i make up aphorisms what am i trying for here it finally seems like you know um marvel might be having to pay the piper is due there we go cliche I completed just, thank god just to while you're struggling through that with that <laughs> of love, I, I was looking i was looking at the marvel launches yes so if you take out um rather if you look at everything marvel's launching and i'm counting a point one issue as a launch just for the sake of it, because it's not—it's—it's it's kind of part of the regular run. It's kind of not. Sure. There's 28 launches from Marvel. Ooh. Again, okay. compared compared with DC's five. Right. Right. See, and that's that's just it. Now, just out of curiosity, is how many of those are the point one titles? Like 14 or? Like... Uh, no, I, th- I think it. I think it's three. Let's see. There's Uncanny X Force five point one. There's Thor six twenty point one, which I will get back to in a second because it's the weirdest use of a point one ever. Uh, there's Hulk thirty point one. There's Deadpool thirty two point one. Captain America six fifteen point one. So that's five. Wow. So the other twenty three titles are not point one books. No, but there is. For example, uh, one, two, three, four. Five. Five Captain America one shots. Oh my god! Uh, sorry, six Captain America one shots. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two new ongoing series, both of which will, let's face it, will probably get cancelled sooner rather than later. There are two X Men uh, flashback one shots. Mm-hmm. There's the cross gen books that are launching. Right. 
there's a random Wolverine Hercules miniseries because let's face it, everyone's been called for that. Uh, yeah, it, there's there's just some craziness going on. Uh, there's an, a spin-off from Avengers: The Children's Crusade, which is the bi-monthly miniseries by Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung, called Avengers: The Children's Crusade: Young Avengers, mm, mm, which is Alan Davis and Alan Heinberg. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, there's Annihilators, which is Marvel's attempt to kill cosmic I'm sorry, to kill what? The cosmic line. Oh, yeah. Well, again, I I get the sense of, really, that I'm fascinated by looking at, uh, you know, again, Paul's column from yesterday. This is the thing that drives me crazy, is there is, Marvel is so hungry for product. I think it's amazing that, say, for example, both the Thanos Imperative and, uh, the Avengers Children's Crusade are both really good examples of books that seem to have a solid readership to them. It's yeah. not fantastic, but it looked like it was something No, but like, it's solid, like it's not dropping. Exactly. And so Marvel immediately seems to hone in on that and see like, well, how many sort of how many how things many can, can we do? Yeah, how much can we put on this branch before it breaks? So, like, now there's more Cosmic Series, now there's more Children's Crusade stuff, you know, just because those things are, like, they're like, well, maybe well, we can sell four books that 30,000 copies Yeah, but the buy. weird thing about Annihilators is it's replacing all the Cosmic books. Oh, really? All the Cosmic books are getting replaced by Annihilators, and what Annihilators is, is it's two different series in one. It's 40, I want to say it's 48 pages each issue. Wow. It's four four ninety nine each issue. And Jesus. it's the previously announced Rocket Raccoon Mini with um, oh, yeah. what, what's essentially Guardians of, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it, they're, they're putting it as like a, a, instead of like, you know, each it being a two-in-one and each story being like 12 pages, each right. story is full length. Huh. And they're charging for nine to nine for it. And I, I think, I think it, the sales are going to be solid because I think that readers of one book will be readers of the other book. Sure. But I don't think it's going to pick up any readers because four ninety nine for something untried is just not going to fly. Yeah, but I I almost feel like I don't know I I see where they're you feel, going feel with that's it. enough. <laughs> yeah, I I can see where part of them are thinking like, hey, you know what? This is like, well, it's probably stuff they already had in the hopper, and they're trying to come up with new ways to downsize. And they probably figured that the cosmic readers were loyal enough. <laughs> It almost seems like not a bad like four ninety nine for two twenty page stories as opposed to three ninety nine a pop for two different books. I mean, I mean it almost makes sense, right? Yeah, I don't know. There's just something about it that seems weirdly hard to. I, I don't know. I get I get a really bad feeling about it. I don't know why, but I really do. No, um, no, no. no. I, I, it makes sense to me. I mean, it seems it seems very weird to me. The the Thor thing, the reason that the Thor point one issue is really, really weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember the selling point of point one when it was originally announced. Selling point was twofold. Mm-hmm. It was going to be a new jumping on point right. for readers um, that would immediately, that would fit in between the issues that is numbered. Right. So, for example, uh, for Uncanny X-Force 5.1, it follows Uncanny X-Force issue 5, but takes place before issue six and leads into issue six. Right. Right. 
And but selling it's point supposed number... to be also a self-contained story. Yes, the other but selling point number two was mm-hmm. it's by the book's regular writer, if not regular writer and artist. It's not a fill-in, in other words. Right. Okay? Thor 620.1 is by an entirely fill-in creative team. Thor 621, the next issue of the same month, is part seven of a seven-part storyline. Thor 620.1 is not connected to that storyline. It took them literally two months to fuck up their own very simple plot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think they, who knows, they probably came up with this initiative, uh, you know, from management on up, and they turned around and you know, gave it to all the creatives. And I think the, for the most part, the creatives were like, you know, in this case, I assume the Thor team were like, we're not going to have anything done. We're not going to have a, there's no way that I can have an introduction that's going to be, you know, that's going to run into part seven of seven that can be self-contained. And yeah, but here's the thing, like they've got four other point one issues. That one bump it an issue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it, 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 it's stunning. Like it really. I'm honestly like, at what point did someone not kill this? At what point? Did, no. At what point did some editor not look at this and think, this is not the point. This yeah. is not what we've been hyping up about. Mm-hmm. This is going to weaken the other books. Mm-hmm. Just by because this honestly looks like a fill-in and it mm-hmm. looks like Marvel doesn't care about their much trumpeted initiative. Yeah. Absolutely. Why was it not spiked? Why did someone not kill it? Right. Because I don't understand. Because of course the Thor movie's coming out and it's gotta be a priority that they have. But the Thor movie's coming out two months from then. I know. Dude. They have time to bump it. Oh, it drives me mad. The other thing that's hilarious for me from the the Marvel Solstice this month is um Spider Man You're Hired for three ninety nine is I swear to God, a reprint of the 3B comic that they gave away with the New York Post that is also available for free online. Yes! Yes, it's totally free. I ha- I downloaded it, haven't read it, but they're charging oh. $3.99 for it? They're, they're also including the backups from three issues of Amazing Spider-Man. Wow. It's oh amazing, isn't it? Because honestly, I mean, not only is it free, it only came out like last week or something. Oh. And they're already listing it a three ninety nine reprint. Wow. Well, I, I just and, and, as someone who did download it and read it, mm-hmm. it's it's it's. I kind of wanted my time back, even though I had a big. <laughs> oh, what a drag! It's you know, really bad. Really? Ah. It's. Uh, do you remember, like in the seventies, where like Marvel team up would occasionally do like real world cameos? Mm-hmm. It's like that, but so much worse. Peter Parker is, like, driving along. Like, he's actually in the subway with Aunt May, and he's like, I'm not getting a job. Woe is me, blah, 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 blah. Which, you know, it doesn't even fit into the current continuity, so good job, everyone. Right. Um, and I mean, you'll get a job. And then like, he literally bumps into Mayor Bloomberg on the subway train. And he's just like, I just like to take the subway sometimes. Why don't we hang out? And I'll tell you about they, these great new job opportunities. Oh, no. And that's it. Wow. That's your comic. <laughs> three ninety nine, ladies and gentlemen. Three ninety nine. Wow, that's really like, huh? I have to say that was not the most dynamic 
sounding pitch to me. <laughs> you know, it's it's. I mean, it's because it's free and you've downloaded it. You should read it because you should yeah. see how terrible it is. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's. I would. L- I can't see the sales figures on it. Cannot wait to see the sales figures on it. I just, I, I just can't believe that they're released. I mean, like, do it as they, they must, they must really, really just be like, let's ch- put everything out there. There's got to be some, yeah, something going on that says like, if we pay for it, it's basically print. Yeah, has to be because there's no other reason to basically put it out three months after it was released for free and ask people to pay three ninety nine for it. Well, I mean, this is the thing. Is is like, I, I imagine they got, they saw some money on that. You know, like they got paid somehow they you know whether through the through the job development office whether it was just being able to write off the print run on their taxes you know like (laughs) i mean that's the thing that i that is amazing to me about marvel is just uh how how craven they can be for the money seriously unbelievable you know one of my favorite books is uh the, the great comic book heroes by uh Gerard Jones and Will Oh, Jenkins. yeah, it's, it's a really good book, yeah. Fantastic. And one of the things that they point out that I, I really thought was worth um, worth entering into the historical record is, is that from the very beginning, Marvel would sell their same issues over and over and over and over again. You know, they had no problem, like, reprinting Spider-Man and Marvel Tales in, you know, Fantastic Four stuff in World's Greatest Comics. I have some of those, like, early, like, mar- issues of, like, Marvel superheroes and things like that that are just, like, you know, all reprints of stuff. Some of it being, like, you know, Bill Everett Submariner material, just all jammed in there for a quarter. So it it's not surprising to me in a way that, you know, Marvel, is, in other words, Marvel has always had this tendency of, like, if people are going to pay for this you know, one time, let's make sure that we can sell it to them six times, you know, but now it's just, it is, it's getting absurd. They're going to end up like running the comics, you know, the promotional comic strip ads that they have in like commercials and on the back of toy boxes as like a collection. Soon, if I, I, I genuinely am surprised we haven't seen a, a Hostess Cupcakes collection. If only because I think people would really like that. Oh yeah. I got to admit, I would totally be all over that shit. Um, especially with like commentary, like on the side scenes, so you actually get to find out who wrote them and and people like you know, I mean clearly like Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito drew some of those Spider-Man ones because it looks like just like the comic that was coming out on the stands at the time. But it would be pretty awesome to hear them go like, yeah, there's not nearly as much difference between the cupcake spangler and the vulture you know it's <laughs> sad but true they're about equally dopey you know yes sorry everyone <laughs> yeah oh man so which reminds me do we do we want to talk about spider-man turn off the catapult or no um we've already given it enough time there's not much no, really no, to but, say, you know, but... there's a couple of things that i i i would want to add to the historical record one was my really weird twitter interaction with steve wacker last week about it oh i don't think i Uh, saw that it was really short but it was really odd Hmm. pretty much because he said something like um despite all the all the stories about spider-man turn of the dark i think we can all agree that we want it to be a good show and my response was 
I, I'm just at the point where I think everyone is, whereas, whereas it's not even funny that things are going wrong now. It's getting dangerous. Yeah. And he was like, well, no one's ever found it funny. And I said, it's, yeah, I think there's been a certain, you know, shouting for it about things going wrong. Mm-hmm. And he, he just, he seemed really humorless about it. Because mm-hmm. um, the response to that was, I don't even know where you're coming from. Hmm. Um, but also just, I don't know, like he seems so at odds with everything else he, he's normally, like he's normally very comedic and seeing the joke yeah, and really yeah. fun at himself. Yeah, irreverent. Yeah, and he really seems to not see a that anyone has been laughing at Spider-Man the uh, the, the musical, mm-hmm. or b that people were genuinely worried and thought that the show was unsafe. He was like he he also said, you know, I think everyone has been doing their best with safety on all the way along, and it's like that's quite clearly not true. Yeah, you know, I mean that's really clearly not true when there are news stories that are pretty much that guy who fell over might be able to walk again mm-hmm. clearly there's not been the right safety precautions taken yeah yeah exactly. um and he, but he, we, I, it, I honestly felt like he was like putting down company shutters mm-hmm. and being like well that's spider-man it's or this is the greatest thing ever mm-hmm. um which was really weird mm-hmm. uh the other thing is i'm surprised and not surprised that they've lost a lead actor this early Mm-hmm. Um, but not surprised only because she was one of the first people to actually have a concussion. Um, but I, I mean, the show is just, it's going to self-destruct, mm-hmm. it, and I don't even know if it's going to make it to this, its official opening at this point. Right. Yeah, I I'm really curious too because, of course, you know, I mean, I, I I'm sure Arachne will have a, a an understudy. Uh, you know, uh, or the, two. She, well, um, Natalie Mendoza has not even been in the show since December twentieth. She's been on enforced rest. Wow! So the understudy's already been doing it for the last week and a half. Oh, see, sure, um, sure, and, there, and there's another understudy beneath her. Wow. Um, yeah, but yeah. So, but everyone has under like understudies and understudies in this because remember, Spider Man uh, Reeve Carney can't do all the performances per week. That's like, right. He's been the, the New York State stepped in and said you can't do this. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing that at that point they must have thought, you know, let's get backups for everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just, I, it strikes me as it really has gone beyond being funny. How badly this has gone. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, my my little my one little like I've been dying to make this joke for two weeks aside. Uh, once I once I read about the guy falling into the pit and the, you know the whole the screams and his whole like him him being taken out and listed in critical condition, I was like, okay, I'm I'm not making jokes about this anymore because it's not. Yeah, it's 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 not funny. Like people mm-hmm. are they're they're really 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 putting their lives at risk all the time. Yeah. And honestly, for what? Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, sure, it's selling out, but the only reason it's selling out is people want to see it fail. Mm-hmm. People, and not even like people want to see horrible, you know, crashes or anything, but everything about the show is a disaster. It's had terrible reviews. Sure. Yeah. People no, just I, want to go and see it be a mess. Yeah. Well, or they want to see it so they can say that they saw it. 
which I totally yeah. makes sense to me because it's that whole idea of like this thing is the idea it, that it's going to be open for a year seems pretty unlikely. Oh yeah, it, it'd live on in infamy. It'll be a well, I saw the Spider-Man musical, and it was as bad as he said. Yeah, totally. You know, it's going to be this, the Star Wars holiday special, except there's not going to be anything on YouTube. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Which you know, I've always wondered in, in our. Uh, yeah. Did you see? Patton Oswald's nerd apocalypse oh, article from Wired. Yes, yes. Uh, I hate to go for all the obvious targets, but uh, I, I I will no, mention but, it. But but really, that was uh that was like the the whiniest. I hate it that I'm not special. It's so easy for other people to be nerds like me, and I worked really hard for it. Like fanboy entitlement thing, ever, <sighs> and. I mean, it was uh, Alison Howell on Twitter. Uh, Alison is a friend of mine who writes on Porn America right here. Um, put it entirely right, she, where she said that, you know, the world is not a worse place for more people having seen Star Wars or reading comics. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the idea that, the idea that anyone can complain that geek culture has become too mainstream is, it's like the stereotype of they've sold out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. And not only that, his his writing itself mm-hmm. was really whiny. Even if his point was strong, which is not, his writing itself was really whiny. Well, the thing and also, I... like, almost a parody. Yeah, well, I, I think that was one of the things that sort of bothered me. Uh, I mean, it, it. I think the reason why so many people walked away annoyed from that piece is because it was, um, it, it was, amazingly annoying on multiple levels. One is that I thought that it was overwritten with the, but the point was underdeveloped, you know, like he spends a long, long, long time talking about the, you know, the good old days of, of being a hardcore otaku before leading into the idea of like, you know, Weak otaku and, and strong kids have otaku. Come along. Yes, now you these know. kids have come along and they're otaku, but they're not real otaku. Yeah, like me. right, exactly. And and there to me, it's just this idea of like, if you like fucking talk to like Ian Brill, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Brill is that, like that's response to any article in Wire now. Yeah, that actually should have you, be. Have you ever talked to Ian Brill? Have you talked to Ian Brill? That would be awesome. Like that, I'm gonna go put that on their Tron Legacy article right. Uh, I, I, you know, because Brill is like much younger than me and has managed to read everything that I read growing up and everything that he should have read growing up. Uh, an, another weird example of this is, um, is Haley Campbell's blog. Uh, she's, Haley Campbell's a really, really talented writer, uh, really hilarious. And she, her most recent entry, I think, well, at the time of this, uh, was about, the fact that she basically went around growing up was kind of like, what do I need to be, you know, to read, to be well-read, to be cultured? And she's like, so she's like, I know all these movies and and things that nobody knows about. Like, she's like, my favorite movie is The Apartment. And essentially, she's like, I'm no good for anything except working in a comic book store because I have nothing but useless trivia in my head, you know? And, and although she's being comical, I mean, that's like... You know the the culture has reached a point where everyone can be, in theory, anyone can um, immerse themselves into the culture much more quickly than than previously, and that's actually a good thing. You know, I, 
I think that, you know, Brill and Campbell, apart from them being like just as, as strong an otaku as, as any, you know, as any fanboy who walked out of like, you know, the 1987, you know, I bought Watchmen on the stand wars. Uh, they also seem like, uh, you know, better adjusted with their fanishness, I guess, than than people were. Like, I mean, Oswald. Well, I, 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 sorry, yes. there you go. No, I, Oswald's all, whole point was like, ah, we had a bunch of people. We weren't alone. We had a hardcore group, and we all had our things, and it was great. I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I being, you know, Oswald's age and being in cer- certain similar circumstances, I'm kind of like, I'll kind of take your word for that. But, you know, when I look at something like a site like Fandom Secrets, where it's like, you know... You really are just hitting all the big points recently aren't you yeah i <laughs> really am secrets, really <laughs> i i just i well i because fandom secrets is something i could never have conceived of you know it's like something out of a phil dick novel times 10 if you had told me back when i was 18 that not only you know the, the, the the internet was we had enough of a concept that it was there and it was coming and you know the people in the computer labs were using it but if you told me that in the future you would have a a place where hundreds and hundreds of teenage girls and 45 year old men pretending to be teenage girls could post photoshopped pictures you know romantically linking the skinny guy with a tie from Criminal Minds with the fatter of Chippendale Rescue Rangers chipmunks, you know, it would have blown my mind. And yet that happens day in and day out and hour in and hour out. Like, just the idea that people have the ability to to share that stuff and therefore it actually, we're getting all these weird, like, the petri dish lots of things are growing that that normally would have just sort of stayed stagnant well that that's kind of what that's why things like um i bought one of the stands or anywhere to believe something like that really really irritates me mm-hmm. because well first of all who the fuck cares right you don't get points for being first right um but also when you when cultures get out of control mm-hmm when cultures start to mix and merge is when it is always the exciting part. Yeah. I mean, imagine if this is a ridiculous example, totally brought on by like Twitter conversations I've been having in the last couple of days. But <laughs> imagine if John Lennon and Paul McCartney didn't want to do anything other than play faithful rock and roll, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, or anything, or, you know, imagine if, to be comicsy, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby literally just copied the DC formula right. and did anything with it. Or, it's, uh, or, the, or the, as, as I think you probably would have used in your Twitter conversation example of what if, you know, one of the guys who released one of the top albums of last year decided to sit down and, and make an entire album on his iPad in a month and release it online for free. Yeah, but then you'd listen to it and be like, oh, really? Okay. Well, I, I can see why it's free. Free is free, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's like, ouch. Although they, they are they are going to charge for it later this year. Well, I, I it's, think it's get it's getting a real release. Yeah, 
I, I think you're going to end up, I mean, I, I was kind of like, well, I'll download this, sure. And I'm like, oh, wait, I have to pay to join the fan club? Oh, interesting. Well, I guess I'll go back to streaming it, you know? I, I don't know. I I kind of, didn't you get that? I definitely got that feeling reading Oswald's article of like, does this guy, has this guy never seen Etsy? Like, didn't, didn't what, I really what, got that feeling of like, the, this guy spends... Yes. The thing that's really st- stuck in my head since, again, to had a conversation yesterday with Jeff Parker saying, are you sure he means it? Are you sure this isn't just a really, really, really elaborate, overwrought joke? Mm-hmm. And I, I keep holding on to that because the alternative is Patton Oswald is an old man. And I'm not a, I'm not a Patton Oswald fan. Right. I'm not saying that because, you know, like it would break my heart if he was. But just the alternative to it being a joke Mm-hmm. is that he is someone who is standing in the way of history well or or mis- or can't even like realize his place in it cuz isn't isn't Patton Oswald I I mean I've listened to some of his routines some of them I've liked a, a little some of them I've liked a lot some of his stuff I haven't liked at all but one thing that generally strikes me is he sounds like the pop. I mean, his his act is the the pop culture Armageddon that he's talking about. You know, like that article was just littered with so many references. You know, it was like reading the the brief wondrous life of Oscar Wow as like a as like a Wired article, and <laughs> I, and that's that's his act half the time. Like, and I'm like, so this is this seems to me to be exactly what you're talking about. Like his ability to like. It, it almost did have that element of like the way that I recycle pop culture is okay. The way that you guys are recycling pop culture, well, the, the way is that he wrong. recycles. No, but for him, if again, if it's not a parody, the way he recycles pop culture is okay because he's he's been there, man. Yeah, he he means it. Mm-hmm. He didn't just look at the details up on Wikipedia. He's read every issue of Ditko Shade the Changing Man. Right. You know, he didn't wait for it to come out as a collection. Because right. collections, that's, that's just for fakes. He bought the real thing. Do you know, and that's just, that staggers me. I mean, that there's there's so much wrong with that mm-hmm. that uh, I, I can't respond to it. Well, and I do think, and perhaps this is why it could very well be parody, but part of the reason why I think that it's maybe not is otherwise you end up with Jeff Lister syndrome. You know, where it's like, I've spent, you know what, what I mean? What is Jeff Lester syndrome? Well, I'll tell you. I thought for some reason we discussed it. Just Jeff Lester syndrome is kind of like looking around at the world that, you know, the world that I made, you know, I'm like the, I'm like the inverse of Howard the Duck. I'm not trapped in a world I never made. This world seems sort of ridiculously made for me between like the, the superhero movies between cheap and easy available collections of amazing comics that I loved as a kid and gorgeous looking archival editions of comics that I had never read and like a marketplace that is turning out product week after week after week after week and most of the people who are writing it are guys who you know are incredibly finally clued into the books that I was reading uh, when I was young. And so I'm like, oh my God, finally, you know, someone else who remembers, you know, District Attorney Tower and is going to put him back in a Marvel comic. And yet I'm kind of like, eh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think there's that idea of 
part of me is this whole theory that that if someone if you put someone in that environment and they're not excited by everything that's going on your instincts are either to say okay i guess it's me that's jeff lester syndrome or what appears to be Patton Oswald syndrome, which is you guys are doing it wrong. You know, if I'm not excited by this utopia, there's something rotten in it. And I think the problem is, is that it's just too easy, you know? And I'm kind of like, you know, I prefer kind of what I talked about way back when, which is like, man, if you're locked in a candy shop, you know, all night and you walk out, And you, like, kind of don't feel so awesome about having chocolate for a while after that. Like, maybe that's entirely natural, you know? My thinking, anyway. So, I I think there's so much amazing, available, free pop culture or that, um, you know, and when I find myself not being excited about it, I just sort of resist the urge to assume that it's something wrong with it and just assume like, Hey, it's me. I got to find other interests. I've got to do other stuff. There's some things I should be reading. I I think everyone goes through it. I definitely go through points where I'm just like, you know, I'm done and I'm not done because comics have failed me. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think that's an incredibly um, familiar fanboy thing. I mean, think all the people who are like comics were much better when I was a kid. Now it's all too much violence and, you know, bad writing and it's like no comics have always had that mm-hmm. <laughs> it's you're, you're not getting as much out of it anymore right um i think there's always a tendency to blame it on the objects as opposed to yourself but i think everyone goes through a period where they're just not getting the same charge and at that point you stop and you go away for a bit mm-hmm. do you know what i mean you right. don't write a two-page wired article about why the internet has made geek culture mainstream and that's actually killed geek culture and so there should be an apocalypse so that you can reach the changing man and feel better about yourself again. Right. Right, exactly. I mean, I mean I the, just... answer is, the answer is stop reading Shade the Changing Man. And, hey, Flex Mentalo, go out and talk to some girls. <laughs> no, but, like, that's, that's the end of Flex Mentalo. Right. Sometimes you need to gamble stamp and go out and meet some girls. Well, yeah, but, and this is the wonderful thing, as as much as I adore Flex Mentalo, it's like, you know, we're trapped in the, the next stage, which is like, what do you do when you go out to meet some girls, and all they want to talk about is Shade the Changing Man, you know what I mean? First, first of all, there are women out there who don't want to talk about Shade the Changing Man, Jeff. <laughs> I mean, no, but let, really, let's, let's not fool ourselves that nerd culture has taken over that much. It is not, it has become a dominant force but not the dominant force you can easily go out there and get other inputs hey why don't you leave media alone and actually go and have other inputs sure i agree and i think that's that's the like the idea that you can't leave culture alone because it will follow you yes you can right (laughs) well and that's the point where it seems to me like the complaint becomes seems to make a lot more sense when it's coming from you know, a comedian who like trucks in pop culture and can't leave it, you know, like at that point you start complaining because, because it does seem like it's following you because you can't disengage from it because everyone else is engaged in it too. And that's how you're pigeonholed as, or, or you know, it's not pigeonholed that way. He's got a lot of, different no, wait, I, I, wait, are you, are you talking about the idea that um, people just assume that you will like, for example, Ghost Rider because Ghost Rider is based on a comic and you've, you read comics like that that's or at least you you should see it is that what no talking? no no i'm sorry i guess i'm just saying sort of responding to your i mean as you point out like 
pop cult nerd culture is not the dominant culture unless you're a figure in nerd culture in which case in which case you can't escape it you know what i mean like i do see a sense of you know the rest of us obviously don't are able to very quietly check out and do something else um you can't do it if your bread and butter is made you know going you know touring like 200 days a year and doing material about you know the uh, yeah yeah but here's Carvel the thing ice cream yes meal. yes you can or at least you can stop exposing yourself to more of it mm-hmm. let's not forget Patton Oswald is the man who in addition to touring has starred in Caprica and written a fucking serenity comic for Dark Horse agreed do you know what I mean like he is purposefully mining pop culture and nerd culture and geek culture himself and if he wants it to die then he is he's doing he's really hiding it well apart from mm-hmm. that article. Do you know what I mean? Like he, he is he is embracing it more and more. Of course. Uh and it's it's I don't know, I really I really get a sense of I guess this is why I, I want to believe it's parody, because otherwise like he is completely lacking self awareness. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like Yes, there's too much pop culture out there, too much geek culture. And when I write that new Serenity graphic novel, I was doing it because they put a gun to my head. Right, exactly. Like, I had to cash that check, you know? I, I didn't have any choices. No, I know. I mean, there's, like I said, there's multiple levels why that thing was unbelievably annoying. So, uh, um, I don't know. I just, I really do find it a kind of, I found it fascinating. I found it fascinating the number of people who had the, you know, oh God, shut up reaction, like instantly, and how it wasn't necessarily always the people that I thought it would be. So I think that's kind of fascinating. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you, you, I find it very hard to believe that he was doing it as a gag. I, I it may be I, the I, case, because I, I, I have I, to I say. Not, by, I did not think about it until Jeff Parker said it. Right. And then when he said it, I can't stop thinking about it. Right. Um, well, it could be the case because I mean, because certainly... otherwise he's lacking. He's completely lacking self-awareness, and he's this old man who's who's standing in the way of everything. Well, um, but, but like again, like lacking historical knowledge. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like he's yeah. literally standing. He's standing in the way of everything, including experience. Yeah. Um, and he's he's purposely closing himself off and trying to make his world and the world smaller. And Again, like, I'm not a fan, but just, like, on, like, a human level, I don't want that for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So the idea that it's parody is much more attractive to me because of that. Right. Well, and there, I think there's maybe a case to be said, made for it, because at the end, like, his conclusion didn't make much sense to me, too. Because his conclusion was kind of like, we have to, sort of, we have to kill geek culture by essentially, like, pushing it in order to overdrive until it explodes. And again, I'm having a level of like, I don't even know what that means. Like his example seemed really unclear to me, especially since in some cases he's talking about, you know, people being top chef geeks, you know, or, um, you know, like we're just supposed to geek out to the point where none of us want to do it anymore. And therefore we should, like, I really couldn't follow what was going on with his conclusion because at that point it went from being an essay 
and coming off more like the weird end to somebody's crap science fiction novel, where it's like, okay, the, I see what you're saying in a metaphorical way, but I have no idea what you could be talking about in the world of reality, you know? So maybe a parody, but I think the problem was, again, because of some of the ways it was written, it was really hard to read it that way. It seemed far too... Far too good. Yeah, f- yeah, exactly. Far too earnestly written, and and you know, like the prose itself seemed very carefully crafted, even as the point seemed to kind of careen off the rails. Um, wow, and I wasn't even thinking that I was going to bring it up, so it's kind of fascinating <laughs> talking about it. Not only talking about it, but talking about it for so long. Also, I don't know about you, but I feel like everything we've said has been an accidental aside. <laughs> Here we are, like, 50 minutes. It's totally true. You're right. It's been 50 minutes, and I, I'm sort of like, well, we should start talking. It's Exactly. We, we should get this started. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the classic thing we do in our podcast. We've got this thing we've got to talk about. Let's do it two hours from now. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, what we could do is we could jump here, and this was, it's something, like, it's a very... It's an aside-filled news review. You know what I mean? Like, I guess, is, are there any other news stories we should do quickly to round it up to to an hour? Uh, do you understand what Tom and Heidi were fighting about this morning on Twitter? I didn't. I uh, I, I, I do. I'm not sure like <laughs> where it came from. <laughs> uh, I I I I really do not know where it came from. It has been. Uh, they were fighting about the constant saving of comics that goes on and, and whether comics need to be saved. Ah, I see. And, and Heidi was taking the, the no, they don't. And Tom's taking the, that's the stupidest stand ever. Hi, Heidi was taking the, uh, it's nowhere near as bad as it was in 1996 when people's lives were being destroyed by heroes world. And Tom was taking the sure. It's not that, but to say it's nowhere near as bad is, Myopic because just because Scott Pilgrim got made into a movie does not mean that people are going penniless because they can't make money from their comics. Right. Argument. Yeah, no, I, I caught bits and pieces of it. Okay, so I that, that does sound about right. I have no idea where it sprang from and it, it's one of those things where like I'm working and I'm, you know, checking Twitter as I work, which has become my new thing. You can tell how badly a day of my work is going now, by the way, by how much I'm tweeting. If I'm tweeting a lot, it's because I just do not want to working i was wondering i just figured that you knocked off of work because there was like the no other... no like the, the i definitely yesterday afternoon when i was talking to jeff barker for yes! like the entire afternoon was pretty much because i had so much to do and i didn't i it wasn't even that i didn't want to do it it was that i was finding it really hard to do it mm. and so i kept tweeting Okay. Uh, that, that's what I do with Twitter a lot. That if I have a lot to do uh, and I'm tweeting a lot, it's because I'm trying to like knock things free in my brain. Oh. I'm, I'm using Twitter as like, I you know I've just got to get past this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, that's the secret. Kind of working number one. <laughs> number two, the thing I write for Robot Six every week is literally unplanned every single week, which is how it gets as weird as it did yesterday. Which really? was pretty much a spinoff to something we said in this podcast. Uh, I don't think I've read. It's it, basically my point is we need more porn comics. <laughs> it's pretty much a spinoff of what we were talking about, and it's all because um, Dave McKean's porn comic comes out in June from Fantagraphics, and it looks spectacular. Right. Um, 
and it's his second it's his first full uh, length original graphic novel ever only his second uh, project that he has written and drawn wow and which I, I thought he'd done more and he, he apparently hasn't no kidding uh, his cage isn't there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which really surprised um, but yeah so I, I started off being I started off with a column that I ended up scrapping which is just like I'm really looking forward to this because halfway through I was like why don't more people do porn comics mm-hmm. like why is there not a porn industry a porn comic industry in the same way that there's a porn movie industry because I know there are porn comics mm-hmm. and like I know there's a lot of, of like fan stuff on the internet mm-hmm. but even if you look at like the previews adult catalog there's actually not that many comics mm-hmm. and I was like you know why why is that I don't I really don't get it and what I basically came uh, up with was Lost Girls has ruined it for everyone <laughs> I love the idea that I it, like if someone had asked me to like you know in like a choose your own adventure way like come up with Graham's conclusion and one of them would have been it's all Alan Moore's fault I'm like that would have been the path I would have picked yeah. <laughs> it was really bad um, and the other thing is I think I think there's this I think it's well I think it's multiple folds the Lost Girls thing is a cheap thing um, but I think part of it is I think the American direct market would not stock it, and I think it's got good reason to with all the, the obscenity things. It's exactly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, dissonance between comics as kids' material still and porn mm-hmm. that I think people just can't bridge. And mm-hmm. uh, so the, when you get a Lost Girls or you get a celluloid, or even when you get a Black Kiss, um, and you get a name creator doing something like this, mm-hmm. it seems not just like an event. But somehow transgressive. Well, yeah. Um, so yeah, that that was my point. But no, literally, I sat down to write that thinking I was writing something else entirely. Um, I ended up writing that pretty much posted it, thinking I'm really re- going to regret p- p- putting this on the internet. Let's do it. <laughs> um, which is basically how every single one of those columns is written. That's fabulous. I'll be like, oh god, it's Tuesday afternoon. I've got to write this. <laughs> What am I going to be doing now, 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 now? Let me ask you. Well, I think I could be mistaken, but I would assume that if we were to look at, at least from the North American market, most of the um, uh, major, like, porno comic works, like, there is, wouldn't, isn't there, like, wasn't there sort of a, a sort of, porno wave that sort of came out when Fanagraphics went into Eros and suddenly you had Gilbert Hernandez and Don Simpson. Well, is, is that really... I mean, I, I guess it was a wave. It was a very small wave. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I feel like I feel like, a, like 88, 89. Because mm-hmm. wasn't that when Black Kiss was happening as well? Well, that's, that's what I want to say, is I think Black Kiss was happening at the same time as Birdland, but that is... That could be the world's most specious assumption. So let's see here. Birdland. Uh, if you want to look up the year of um, of Black Kiss, although I thought you'd looked it up before. Wait, okay. what, do we have, what do we have a piece on this? Birdland Comics. Um, this is when you find that you were uh, uh, 1988 Black Kiss was. Great. I'm still jumping around by the erotic comic book by Gilbert Hernandez. It doesn't have a Wikipedia entry? Ugh, I gotta go to Gilbert Hernandez. No, Eros Comics. Let's try that. So you said 1988? Yeah. Um, and Birdland was formed in 1990. Oh, interesting. 
So yeah, Aerosmith really. was in 1990. Well, no, I mean you know two years you can get sort of a a wave. Out Although of that, interestingly right? enough, Birdland is not listed on Wikipedia's uh, entry in Eros. Yeah, that's kind of where I was like, why isn't this exist at all? I that's I was like chasing my tail there. The only thing I was able to get to was the Eros comics entry, but I'm like, why don't you have the the other thing that kind of scared me is it it actually doesn't have a the in, the little disambiguation entry doesn't have Gilbert Hernandez linked. I'm like Gilbert Hernandez. You should add that. What happens to the? Yeah, that's okay, here. Here we go. Here's interesting. Yes. Birdland is also not mentioned in Gilbert Hernandez's entry in Wikipedia. Really? Are, are people pretending that Birdland didn't exist? Maybe they are. You're right. Well, this is notable works, but yeah, I think. I think it, it's but it's not mentioned works. at all. Wow. No, it's not in this entry. Because you can't tell me that Birdland is somehow less important than Speak of the Devil. Right. Right. You no, know? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, in fact, um, you know, Birdland ends up being like a major fork in the road as far as, her, you know, Hernandez's work. I would say that you can't. I, apart from the characters that come out of it, like Fritz, who's pretty much dominated most of the work, you He's know, done since, yeah, yeah, it comes directly out of you know Birdland. I find that like kind of, I mean, it's just an amazing, weird omission, isn't it? Yeah, it's like it's it's really odd. The fact that it's not mentioned in either of them mm-hmm. is really really strange. Yeah, that's odd. also according to. According to Wikipedia, and I so hope this is not a mistake, Gilbert Hernandez wrote Birds of Prey in 2003 before Gail Simone? Yeah. yeah, He really I, did? Yeah, he, he had like one or two issues. It was one of those weird, like, um, he okay. had done a couple of... of okay, uh, that's craziness. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I picked them up. They were, as I recall, kind of not... Can, it was kind can, of like... Yeah, it was kind of like when she, Eddie, Eddie Campbell wrote, you know... Uh, Constantine. It was just kind of, uh, kind of unremarkable. Like, kind of like, huh? Um, but yeah, no, I picked, I picked those issues up, and they were, they were, as I recall, they were generic. You would think that pick those issues up, but they existed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, isn't that kind of amazing though? Um, that I'm, I'm really, really surprised about that. I, if you, if even if you said, hey, do you think he ever wrote Birds of Prey? I wouldn't believe. <laughs> No, I, I like I said, I don't think it was many issues, and like I know that I, I bought them and in theory read them. I remember not being especially intrigued by them though. So, uh, yeah. Wow. How did we end up? Oh, right. So maybe maybe there is a maybe maybe with Brandon Graham and Dave McKean, you know. James Stucco, I guess, has done some, you know, is actually doing some sort of porno photo realism comic or something, isn't he? Who's, who's I, I have, that? I have no idea. You know, Brandon Graham on 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 his um just amazing, amazing live journal page, you know, where he just updates it with so much amazing stuff. One of the recent entries was one of his buddies, like he showed his buddies uh, attempt to create a photorealistic comic where it's like they do the backgrounds and then they use a, a real model for the porno poses and then they work her into the story you know so it's got kind of a cool world kind of feel to it I guess 
and <laughs> oh god, a cool world kind of feel. See, uh, I wasn't going to be pleasant about it. I magically be off mm-hmm. something immediately. Cool world. That was yeah. Classic. Sorry, I, I, I'm, I've never nece- I've not been a fan of that sort of approach. Really, I mean, I'm, I'm never that. You know, if I was being generous, I would have said Roger Rabbit, and I'm not. So, yeah, it's that's kind of how it felt to me. Uh, it could take forever for me to load this damn page. Good lord. I, I'm now on Brandon Graham's thing looking for this, and I can't see it anywhere. Yeah, it, it might have been in this page that starts off with some of the amazing. What is it? What is this? Is this Monera doing? Oh, is that the the uh, is it Mobius and Monera that like yeah. ripping off each other? Yeah, exactly. Where it's it's kind of like he's got. The, I, but it's, the... it, it starts it starts with Graham doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, that it's that pretty... is an amazing post. Yeah, and there's Paul Pope doing it as well. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So, and again, Pope. You know, people, there's enough of a influence, not just of um, Monera, but of course, you know, Guido Kripax, um, that You know, maybe there will be a new, maybe it'll happen on the net, because I don't definitely... I think, I think it'll have to happen on the net. I just yeah. don't think that the direct market would support it, even if it was the greatest work in the world. Yeah. Well, I, 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 and I, I, think, I think it really comes down to the direct market has been has had really bad experiences, not only with uh, prosecution for mm-hmm. obscenity, but also with the rest of the industry not really backing it up when these stores are prosecuted. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, as an industry, comics is not a fan of banding together and presenting a united front, especially right. in something like this. I mean, you would never... You might get DC, although DC is probably not, but you would never get Marvel. Right. Well, it's just the thing. It's the... You know, I mean, you know, you just have to look at the the case schedule of the CBLDF, and you see there are comic stores that have been busted for obscenity in the South for selling comics to minors that didn't, you know, just by having the material in the store, like, you know, DAs who are eager to get reelected will actually prosecute a case based on the everyone knows that comic books are for kids, you know, approach. Yeah. Uh, and it makes it to motherfucking trial you know so i i do think that you know the web seems to be the best place for that to uh no pun intended arise i guess but uh i i I don't know it'll be very curious i i also there's kind of that thing of you know for it used to be most people did porn because it pays you know and yeah and yeah but i i i mean just again talking about the web now i don't think that's the case anymore Mm-hmm. I think there's as there's an argument to be made that it's arrived as its own culture, our own subculture, I should probably say. Yeah, well, maybe. I mean, I, well, I, I'm, I'm thinking about. I, I'm not. I guess porn is not really what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about, I guess, comics that do not shy away from pornographic content when it is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Sure. As opposed to like just outright porn for the sake of porn. No, and, you know, maybe as the, the Euro comics models gets more and more entrenched uh, in each generation, or even, frankly, you know, the the Japanese, you know, the varying levels of adult content that happen in, in some of the manga, you know, that I, I guess that could happen. I kind of think that, I think 
some of the works that actually really, you know, I mean, this is the thing that's sort of frustrating about Lost Girls is that it's such a, you know, quote unquote labor of love for Moore and Gibby, uh, and really was kind of pretty much a, you know, a turd in an, in an Easter basket, you know, it just was not. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that it was a labor to read. <laughs> well, see, Graham, that's why you're the wit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but Lost, here's the thing. Lost Girls, for all our members, like, I am reclaiming porn. This is most definitely porn. Lost Girls failed at being porn because Lost Girls was a lot of work mm-hmm. to just get through. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you really had to, you really had to want to read Lost Girls. Yeah. Yeah. No, you really had to want. And again, which I don't know. You know, and you, had, you also had to continue to want to all the way through the book, if that makes sense. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's not like you know you have to step over some mental line to start. Mm-hmm. It's like at no point did, did Lost Girls become. I was going to be cheap and say like a pleasurable reading experience, but at no point did it become an easy reading experience. Right. No, it. Or rewarding, I, or or anything like that. Well, I mean, that ultimately, I think that that is part of the problem. Uh, you know, it's a shame because, uh, in principle, I can see where the idea of more with his sort of ultra formalist conceptions of things could fit really well into porn. Because, you know, porn has so much of just kind of the, the playing out of possibilities. I mean, because at a certain point, the narrative engine, like, it's very hard to have narrative in porn. Like, uh, yeah, the, I was going to say, at some point, the narrative engine just, like, has to go away. Right. Right. Well, and, and really, the, I think the, the people who are usually smarter about porn are the people who realize that that instead of narrative, you just have possibilities. You know, you introduce a bunch of characters and then you keep reading to see, to get to the, the hookup that you want to see yeah. or to see, to get past that and get to the hookup that you had never thought you were going to end up in being interested in. And then you are. You've you know just I mean? blown my mind, by the way. Not, <laughs> not about porn, but because you're saying that and I'm like, that's just like superhero comic. I'm <laughs> <laughs> serious. <laughs> Well, then you've blown your own mind and mine, because that's, yeah, no, no, absolutely. No, but think about it. Like, replace Hugo with fight. Yeah. That's superhero comics. Superhero comics are all about possibility as opposed to narrative. Yeah. Uh, okay, the majority of superhero comics. No, 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 no. I, I think the thing that, that is interesting about superhero comics is that um, you're absolutely right, and yet narrative narrative can still coexist with the hookup. You know what I mean? There's something about porn. Porn just, because I guess it's so, um, you know, hardwired into people, like any any more than like four minutes of talking and people are reaching for the fast forward or they're flipping through the book to find the well-read section or they're, you know, skimming the comic to get to the nudie bits, you know? In a superhero comic, like, uh, although I'm sure that there are people who sit down and do that for the most part, for the most part, I think what happens is people read the story and uh, the, 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 the big fight is sort of sutured in there. But I mean, well, certainly... But is that not because they've... I don't they've built taught, it into it? Yeah, they've, they've yeah. almost like been conditioned sure. to read the narrative. Right. Well, or, or like... Or, or at least to pretend to care about the narrative. 
But again, it's not even pretending to care because you have this whole like subculture that's grown up around the narrative, mm-hmm. and then the value of continuity and then things you know, Quicksilver can't, you know, be forgiven for the sins that he has done, he has performed in the past, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess it's it's not that people are pretending unless they're pretending so well that they have convinced they've forgotten that they're pretending. Well, you know. There, there is a thing that, that storytelling starts off for all of us as a ritual. You know, when you're a kid and your your parents read you your favorite story, as soon as they're done, you want to hear it again. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like it's not like you don't know how a cat in a hat is going to turn out, but that doesn't stop it from being your favorite story as a kid. In fact, there's something that ties oh, the, those two the familiarity things. becomes very important. Yeah, be, it is part of it. So there is something to the storytelling ritual. Like we we learn it first as a ritual, and I think it's only later that it becomes tied to ideas of like art and surprise. And I mean, we have some of those like the very first time you experience a story, but for a lot of us, it's it's the same story again and again and again, and there is something that is, um, you know, weirdly kind of OCD-ish about, I think, you know, storytelling from the very beginning. So I, I think that, like you said, I don't think it's necessarily that people are pretending to care about the narrative part. In fact, we would all insist that that's the most important part, and yet superhero superhero comics as they exist exist now are a, a ritual of repetitiveness where we can only handle the progress going so far or even if it gets to the point where the readers can handle it in theory the marketplace can so suddenly spider-man's like gotta be single again you know and it's kind of like whoever had a problem with it wasn't necessarily the people that you know had control over it in in the first place but it gets easier to go back and re retell that that ritual, you know, that of storytelling becomes more malleable with the open possibilities in it. But the longer it goes on, the more it seems like kind of this empty farce where people are pretending to care about the story they tell us and we pretend to care about reading it, you know. And who knows? And that's part of why I think in in a way to bring it back to the Patton Oswalt thing, like maybe that's just the part is like, we're not, you know, at some point the lubrication just wears off, you know, and it just becomes, you know, painfully, painfully priapic, you know, it's not, it's onanistic past the point of, of any sort of pleasure and is just, is just this kind of empty um, mechanical movement, I guess. That is the best place to leave this podcast. <laughs> That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yeah. We're done because Jeff has just made a number of very good points that anything I say would just cheapen. Oh, I. I oh no! Disagree. Oh no! I'm serious. <laughs> we should we should quit while we're ahead, friends. <laughs> <laughs>